0: As as we were singing, um, as we were singing, no burden can hold you down. About Jesus, no burden could hold him from his destiny of going to the cross to suffer and die and to rise again for us. I started to think about. I think the Holy Spirit started to lead me to think about the burdens that are trying to weigh some of us down, the burdens that we have endured this past week and that we come in here with this morning. And I think some of those burdens are just the result of living in a a sin stained world, a difficult place to live in, and some of them are the result, the direct result of having an enemy of our soul who presses in against us. And so let's take a minute this morning to remind ourselves that even as burdens um, press in upon us as they weigh down, that the scripture says that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that we can never be separated from Jesus who lives in us. And so let's take a few seconds to name some of those burdens silently. Name them before the Lord. And then let's sing again that that chorus. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Jesus, we thank You that our unity with You through faith is more real, more deep, more true than any of the temporal burdens that we face. We thank You that Your Spirit does live in us, that You promise, like Pastor Gina read, never to leave, never to forsake, and that You are for us. Lord, strengthen that knowledge in our hearts even as we worship You this morning. Strengthen us in Your love, in Your Spirit's presence, in Your strength for the things that we face Oh God, even as your greatness is unlimited, we pray that you would expand each of our capacity to perceive and to experience your greatness. That you would enlarge our hearts, our minds, our lives' abilities to know you, to love you, and to worship you. And Lord, we pray especially now for our children that as they go to continue worship, that each one of them would be touched personally with the knowledge of your love and of your greatness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Children, we bless you to go and to... Learn about the greatness of our God. As we move into family prayer time, and for those of you who are visiting or newer, this is a time where we all use our voices and speak in our own language to thank God, to praise Him, to petition Him, to worship, to confess. Um, We're a safe community where it's quite okay to confess publicly our sins. There's no condemnation because we're in Christ. Um, So I I bring one announcement for prayer before we go in, and that is that um, Mike Force shared with me before the service, Doug Mulder, who for a number of years has volunteered um, to do our taxes and our neighbor's taxes for free and has become very dear to us, his dad died this week. His dad was declining in health, um, but it, it seems at least to me that like it was a little bit sudden. So I'm not sure of the circumstances, but let's hold uh, Doug Mulder and his family in our prayers as we, as we pray this morning and this week. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you that your greatness uh, includes not just the majesty of your creation, of everything that we can see uh, being spoken into being. But it also includes the ways in which you know us down to the hairs on our head and the thoughts of our hearts intimately. You know all of our experiences. You know our needs. And you hear our every prayer. And so hear our prayers as we open up our hearts before you this morning. Lord, even as we do um, surrender all to you, we thank you for the example of your first disciples, your first followers, and what you did through their lives as they surrendered all to you in faith and obedience. And we pray that you'd stir up now that same faith and obedience in our hearts as we open your word. Lord, speak about your will for our lives, even as they belong to you. Amen. Wow, you're ahead of me. Page 1610, uh, Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read just to verse 6. We're going to leave 7 to 9 for the next reading Luke, Luke chapter 9, 1-6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God And to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I'm going to read that once more. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. The Word of God. Um, When I was about 15 years old, I I was 15, I don't know 15 and and what, but when I was 15, I got my first real part-time job. Before that, I delivered newspapers on a couple routes. But mom took me into McDonald's and uh, filled out an application And I got a job at McDonald's. And during the training, I remember distinctly, there were six of us and the trainer, whose name was Lee, sat us down and he said, you can go as far as you want in this company. We will train you to do whatever you want to do. And so you can become a crew trainer and you can become a crew chief and you can become a manager and you can run a restaurant will train you to do whatever you want to do. And I remember being really excited by that. I had no idea uh, what I could learn to do at McDonald's uh, other than flip burgers and sell them. But that was a challenge. That was exciting. And So I set my mind and my heart to learn as much as I could. And about eight months after I started there, they promoted me to a crew trainer, which just meant that I could do that work of training the next person. And about a year later, they promoted me to crew chief, which meant that, Every time I was working, I was responsible for an area of the restaurant. And I, I remember getting more and more excited, thinking, I'm, I'm working my way toward manager. I'm going to become a manager in this restaurant. And I remember watching the managers, and I, I, I had my eyes on them at all the time to see what they did and how they did it and learn from them. And about a year, sometime around a year after I had become a crew chief, I got pulled into the office. And they said to me, Dave, it's time We want to make you a manager. And all that excitement and that anticipation and that looking forward turned into... "Mm -hmm." (laughs) And I took off the red shirt and I put on the blue shirt. (laughs) And I headed into my first shift as a manager thinking, oh boy, what do I do? Now I'm in charge of a dozen people and thousands of dollars, and everything that's happening in this restaurant, and i got to make sure the deposit gets to the bank, and what happens if we have an armed robbery? Because when I was a crew person, no, you think it's a joke, but I was involved in an armed robbery. Um, so, so I knew that was a possibility. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I reached that point. I've been anticipating and excited for it, and then the reality hits me. And, uh, and all of a sudden, what I think I'm ready for, I'm wondering, whoa, am I really ready for this? And I've got a lot of questions. And Actually, what I want to say to us this morning to start is I think that's a quite a common experience that we, that we have. I think, uh, very briefly, about the way that we eagerly anticipated being parents, and thought we knew a lot about being parents, and had Peter and spent three days in spectrum, and uh, then they released us to go home, and is he breathing? He's not making a sound. What do we do? You know, there's all this preparation and anticipation and we know we're going to be parents and then you reach that moment. I think that that's something of what the disciples are experiencing as we meet them in this text this morning. As Jesus gathers them and says, here's power. Here's authority. I'm sending you out. I want you to go and do what I've been doing. When they hear these words from him, they're not surprised. Remember when we began this Gospel of Luke and we heard Jesus' first call as first disciples? Remember what we said or what we heard is bound up in those words that a rabbi would say when he would say, Come, follow me? That meant that the rabbi was choosing the follower. Specifically and intentionally in saying to them, you will become exactly like me. You will become a replica. You will do what I do. You will think as I think. You will be like me. And so for the last, we're about a year into Jesus' three-year ministry. And for the last year, the disciples have been with Jesus day in and day out. And they've been watching Him with that call to follow Me in the back of their minds. And so they have seen Jesus moved with compassion and and bending down and touching that leper that nobody would touch. They've seen that to be Jesus is to touch the untouchable. But not just to touch. To heal. And so they've seen Jesus lay his hands on and speak to physical conditions and tell them to stop or to be gone. Or they've seen him rebuke Simon's mother-in-law's fever and it left. And they've seen Jesus touch people that have never walked and all of a sudden, spines strengthen and they lengthen and they get up and they walk. They've seen Jesus go off and spend a lot of time alone in prayer. They've seen Jesus begin to be rejected by the religious leadership. They've seen Jesus heal dying children and raise dead children. They've seen Jesus have somebody caught right smack in the middle of adultery placed before him half clothed. And they've seen the mercy and the love of God flow as He says, I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your sin. They've seen Jesus speak to the weather and say, Be still. They have seen Jesus move from town to town, from person to person, and everywhere He goes, they've seen that sick are healed, that demons are driven out, that human hearts and lives are restored. They're healed. People are set free. They've seen him drive out a legion of demons. They've seen him heal a woman subject to bleeding for 12 years. And twice so far, Luke has said intentionally, he healed all who came to him. Doesn't say he healed everybody. But he says, everyone who came to him, everyone who approached him in faith and asked, was healed. The other time it says, power was coming out from him and healing everybody. And so by this point in his ministry, we've got to believe that the disciples have witnessed hundreds, maybe thousands of examples of Jesus speaking, Jesus touching, laying hands on, Jesus rebuking. Jesus healing and delivering. And Now Jesus, kind of like a mother bird, pushing her young out of the nest, is saying, okay, it's your turn. You're going to become like me. You're going to do the things that I'm doing. And I want us to notice that when he does that, and he sends them out, that he gives them a very specific three-part ministry of healing. He tells them, and I'm going to use different words but attach them, he tells them to, to heal spirits, that is to bring spiritual healing, healing of relationship with God, heal souls, and heal bodies. How does he say that? He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And then this. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's verse 2. Well, if you go down to verse 6, it says, So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news. See, Luke answers that proclaiming the good news is the kingdom of God. God is present. His kingdom, his sphere of activity is present in Jesus. And so the good news is God loves God longs to bring into restored relationship. God is a God who's near, not far away. A God who longs to forgive. A God who doesn't condemn. Who wants to remove shame, remove guilt. Who calls to repentance so he can bring back into relationship. And every time that somebody hears that news and they accept it, spiritual healing happens. Something that was dead, a spiritual life, comes alive somebody's born again. That is, they receive new and eternal life. So Jesus sends them out and He said, with this mandate, you're going to go and you're going to proclaim this good news and you are going to bring spiritual healing. Every time a person comes into the kingdom of God, there's spiritual healing. Spiritual birth. And we're three parts, us human beings. We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. And it's so important to notice that Jesus doesn't stop there at spiritual healing. He wants to bring new life. He wants to bring us back into relationship. But He loves all of us. And so He says, you're going to bring healing to souls too. What are souls? Mind, emotions, and will. Our conscious and our subconscious life. Our thoughts, our minds, our emotions and our will, our decision making. And that's exactly the place where most of the time Satan attaches. That's not to say that he can't afflict or oppress bodies. He does do that too. Scripture makes that clear. But most of the time, when there's affliction or oppression or attachment or deception by evil or unclean spirits, it's at the level of the soul. Pastor Gina had a great sermon explaining that work last two weeks ago. So whether it's lies that are whispered and believed, thought patterns that develop that lead us into some deceived form of thinking, whether that's about our own person and, and um, self-hatred and self-condemnation forms, or Whether that's at the level of emotions. That a despair is allowed to settle in and weigh down because one doesn't know themselves as belonging to an all-loving, all-powerful, all-forgiving, all-good, sovereign God. Whatever it is, Satan seeks these footholds. And as those footholds are given to him, Real spirits, just as the Holy Spirit is real and produces love and joy and peace, real spirits attach. They're given grounds in minds, in thought patterns. They're given grounds in emotions. And then they very concretely affect wills in that they lead us toward ungodly decisions, unholy choices, sins. Sins against ourselves. Sins against other people. And so Jesus sends them out with a ministry of healing to souls. He says, here's power and here's authority. Drive out every demon. And then he also gives them the call to minister to bodies. Bodies created by God, loved God, by God and bodies that God wants to restore as a sign of His love, as a sign of His kingdom's presence. And so He says to them, cure diseases and heal the sick. What really struck me as I meditated on those words was the word cure. Because when I think of cure, I think of the way that we feverishly work Humanly speaking, to find cures, all of which is very good. But we work so hard to find a cure to cancer, don't we? And a cure to this. And Jesus says, You cure it, you heal it. And what strikes me about that is it's so different from the way I was taught to pray. Lord, if it be your will, Lord, if it be your will. Jack Moraine says this Again Jesus didn't heal everybody but notice also that everyone came to him was healed and he says Jesus never met a disease that he liked And so he sends them out and he says minister healing But he doesn't do that he doesn't do that without equipping them because how are they going to go out and and heal? what have they got that's going to bring healing and so he says here 's power and here's authority and I imagine that he laid his hands on each one the text doesn 't say that i 'm just imagining because scripture tells us in multiple other places that Um, the laying on of hands is important. Read Hebrews 6. And that when we lay our hands on, something really happens. Something is transmitted. And that the laying on of hands is sign and symbol of a spiritual transfer that happens. That's why when we lay our hands on elders and deacons, uh, that's not just superficial. We're asking God to anoint them for the task he's called them to. And so Jesus is setting his disciples apart. He's anointing them in the same way that he was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news. right? Isaiah 61, Luke 4. Now Jesus is sending them out. He's saying, here's power. Here's authority. What does that mean? That he did that. What does that look like? Well, it's kind of like um, if I worked for John and John said, Dave, I want you to go and purchase some things for me. And he doesn't just send me out to purchase those things, but he says, Dave, here's my checkbook, you can write checks for me. And I'm not just handing you my checkbook. I want you to know, Dave, that I've actually gone to the bank and I've given you signing authority on my account. And so here's a sheet of paper that says you have signing authority on my account. He's entrusting to me both the means, the ability, and the authority Power and authority are different things. Authority is permission. The signing authority. went to the bank and gave you signing authority. That's authority. Power is the ability. Here's the ability to write checks. You have the ability. I have the ability when I have a checkbook in my hand. I can have the ability but not the authority. If he didn't go to the bank, that checkbook's not going to do me any good. And I can have the authority but not have the checkbook. He can go to the bank and sign me up to write checks, but if I don't have a checkbook in my hand, it isn't going to do me any good. Jesus says, I've gone to the bank. I'm the banker. Here's the checkbook. My name. My power. You have the power of heaven. The power of God behind you. This has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. And everything to do with me. My kingdom is... My glory, my love, the love of heaven, for God so loved every single person. So I'm sending you out, and I'm saying, go and minister healing to spirits, and healing to souls, and healing to bodies. Now, I want to ask us this morning, What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us sitting here this morning? We're not those twelve disciples and those twelve apostles and it's really tempting for us to, to say, well, they're different. They're set apart. They were with Jesus physically. Well, First, he sends out 12. A couple chapters later, we're going to see he sends out 72. And then a few chapters later, we're going to see he sends out all of his followers. So Jesus is doing a work here that's a work to prepare these workers to prepare the church for the work and for the role of the church in the world. Jesus calls all of us, every single one, to share in his work of healing. And so the first thing I want us to hear is that the ministry of God, the ministry of the church, the purpose of the church is redemption, which is a grand work of healing from start to finish. If you want to define God's work from Genesis 3, the fall into sin to Revelation, it is a grand work of healing focused on the object of God's love, human beings, for the glory of God. Every one of us who's called into Christ is called to participate in this ministry of healing. And I think the first thing we should notice is that Jesus sends out all twelve. And so as I was reflecting on the text, I asked myself, what is Jesus sending out all twelve? What does that have to do with the way in which, in um, Corinthians, Paul says now, To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gives different gifts according to His will. You know, one's got the gift of uh, administration and the other of mercy. And there's these different, one of service. So how do we reconcile this idea of different giftings and then Jesus sending everyone out? Well, I think it's really simple. Actually, I think that um, God does indeed wire us very differently and that we honor him by functioning out of who he's made us to be, but that in the case of, in the grand case of being a part of his overall work, we're all called into it in one way, shape, form or another. We're all called into the work of healing. And so the way in which we engage that work might look a little different. But we're all called to minister spiritual healing, healing to souls. We're all called to pray for the sick, healing to bodies. Because I imagine that in that group of 12, there were different giftings and there different personalities. But God didn't say, I want you four to stay here and concentrate on feeding people. He didn't say, I want you three to stay here and just um, manage the communication for the rest. He said, I want all 12 of you to go. I want every one of you to get this experience because everybody who's called, and this is the group he's working with that's going to shape the church, everyone who's called into the family of God is called to be an expression of the heart of God for the world. And his heart is healing. So we're all called, at at, at some level, to engage in the work of healing. Now now then, how do we apply what they're sent out to do to our lives here and now? Well, I think the first thing we ought to notice is that this is not the way that Jesus sends them out forever. This is a short-term mission trip that's really specifically designed to have three purposes, I believe. One purpose... The first purpose is that Jesus desires to give each of these men who've been following, listening, watching, dialoguing with him as he ministered, asking a lot of questions. He wants to now grow them in their exercise of his power and authority for the extension of his kingdom. And the only way to do that is to put it into their hands. The only way to do that is that that mother bird pushing them off the edge of the nest so, I remember a number of years ago when I was leading, teaching a, a Growing the Church and the Power of the Holy Spirit conference in North Carolina, um, it became evident that one of our participants, a Presbyterian minister, was in great need of healing and deliverance. Uh, there was a long standing pattern of sin in his life that he finally uh, was willing to deal with. And so, we carefully assembled a team of five people to minister. And when we assemble those teams, there's always one person that leads. We call it a point person. Multiple others just pray. Pray for God's word. And so I assumed I'm going to be a prayer person because I'm one of the lesser experienced. And in fact, since the executive director of the organization, who's had um, 30 plus years of ministering healing and deliverance all the world around, is going to be a part of this prayer team, he's probably going to lead it. And so we assembled and we gathered And just minutes before we're about to begin, he's assigning roles and he says to me, Dave, you're leading. You're on point. I'm going to stand right behind you. I'm going to sit behind you and I will whisper in your ear. I'll tell you, if you need guidance, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know how to pray, if you don't know what questions to ask, if you don't know what to do, I'm behind you. But you're leading. That's what Jesus is doing to his disciples. And he does that for us. But here's what I want us to notice this morning. He's doing that for people who have been with him day and night for a year. He's not doing that with a brand new Christian who converted yesterday. Okay? In the same way that Brad pushed me into that situation after I'd had multiple years of teaching and some experiences. Not no experiences and no teaching. There was enough of a foundation. And so Jesus does that for this group that's got a foundation. They've been watching Jesus' work. And so the first question I want to ask us this morning, and I'm going to close with this question too, is I'd like to ask somehow that the Holy Spirit would help each of us assess where we are in watching Jesus' work. What have we seen Jesus do? How long have we been following Jesus with an eye to how he ministers? Now, for us, that looks like watching how he ministers through people. So for some of you, that might mean watching how he ministers through me, or through Pastor Gina, or through Chet, or through... Right? It's Jesus. It's not us. It's Jesus. It's His Spirit. So, how does Jesus minister? Have we been watching? Are we watching? Do we have eyes to see the work of Jesus? Where are we in apprenticing to Jesus or watching, growing in, observing, asking questions? Are we asking questions? How did you know what to pray then? How did you know what to say there? Thursday night, uh, we had Embers to Flames prayer training in this place. There was a small group of about 20 of us. And um, beautiful. uh, We had an hour of teaching and then the Lord moved us to pray and to wait on him. And just to ask, Lord, what is it that you'd like to do in our midst tonight? And as we waited in silence for a number of minutes, some guidance came forward that we were to pray for a couple of people who might be experiencing and then three things were named. And we asked, are those people here? And um, yes, and would you would you be willing, is this a safe enough place that you'd be willing to receive prayer in front of this group as a model? And uh, yes, they were. And so we had a half hour, 40 minutes uh, time of praying for healing and deliverance. And so Jesus, right here, brought healing and he brought deliverance. And just sweet, tender, powerful work of Jesus through his servants. And afterwards, we debriefed and we had a time of question and answer. And somebody sitting over here said to us, is there somewhere where we can go to get more training for this? That was a really good question. That was an acknowledgement that there are ways that Jesus works that I'm called to engage in, and I'm not yet familiar with them. But I'm called to engage in them. And so where can I get more training? Jesus um, gives us experiences so that we can get more uh, training, more equipped to work with him. And actually, I'm going I'm to close by naming one of those experiences and inviting all of us into it. In uh, just a minute, I'm going to call Jay Nablok up to share about some training that's going to happen in September and into the first week of October. But I want to first quickly name the other two reasons why Jesus sends his followers out like this. The second reason is, bound up in his words, take none of this and none of that and none of this and none of that and none of that. And if you ever wondered to yourself why he does that now and he does that with the 72, but when He commissions them at Pentecost and before that, actually there's none of that. What, what Jesus is doing here, He's working with um, people who are in progress in terms of their ability to trust the complete provision of God the Father. And so, what He's doing is He's in, enlarging their capacity to trust and he's kind of forcing that on them they still have a choice they have to accept they've got to obey they've got to yield and say i will i will i will not even take that extra shirt not a wink of food i'm going to trust that that you who i've known for the last year and who has kept every promise he said You mean it. When I show up at that first town tonight, somebody's going to give me water. Somebody's going to give me food. So, how about that for us? The Lord intentionally gives us opportunities that actually to the human eye look foolish or crazy or stupid or however you want to name them. But really, if we'll be still and we'll be quiet and we'll listen, is the Lord inviting us to step out into a situation where If he doesn't provide, it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. Nothing's going to happen. So Thursday night was an example of that because we, Pastor Gina had uh, uh, a prayer um, activity for us to engage in when we were done teaching. But we finished teaching and felt like that's not where we're supposed to go. Just a kind of a gut feeling didn't feel right. So, we had to step off this precipice and say, let's pray and trust that the Lord will give guidance as we wait upon Him. I couldn't have done that seven or ten years ago. Because I hadn't journeyed with the Lord enough to know that when His people earnestly pray and wait and listen, He faithfully provides. But Jesus has pushed me lovingly off a cliff a number of times And so, taking me to that point of, maybe Cliff's not a good image. (laughs) Short Cliff. Short Hill. Taking me to that place of, of trust. And so, just the question, again, we're asking questions with this sermon, just the question, where are you right now in your trust level of working with the Lord? What assignments can He give you And you will trust Him. Are you listening, asking, watching, waiting for those assignments? Do you trust that if He moves on your heart to talk to so-and-so, to mention such-and-such, to ask if you can pray for so-and-so, to start such-and-such, that there will be provision, that there will be answer, that He will be faithful. Where are you? So He sends them out to give them experience with His power and authority. He sends them out to deepen their trust level. And He sends them out because He so loves the world. And He wants to expand the ministry of His love. And 12 going out is more than one. And 72 is more than 12. And and is more than one. Always pervading and filling the work of Jesus and the work of God is love. Love undergirding, love filling, love flowing over. And so I believe that Jesus sending them out is an act of His heart. He's not selfish. You notice Jesus doesn't want to keep ministry to Himself. When you're healing people, it feels really good. When God's working through you, to bring deliverance. When God's working through you to set a heart free, it feels good. It's so joyful. Oh! It's wonderful. And actually, it takes humility and selflessness and deep, deep love to release that ministry to other people. But Jesus' heart is for the whole world. Jesus' love is so deep that He gives away ministry. And So that's what you're going to see Pastor Gina and I and the elders or the board members, the staff, doing, ongoingly, giving away ministry, calling you in to participate and to cooperate and to learn, and giving away ministry, so that all of us get to share in the joy of working with Jesus, to bring healing. Jay, would you come up and would you share uh, about an opportunity that we're going to have as a church to learn to grow, is uh, an opportunity actually to take to be kind of pushed out of the nest, and um, before Jay speaks, um, we are praying that everybody that will have churchwide participation that everyone will hear the call to this short term four Thursday evenings learning opportunity. come on up, Jay
1: okay yeah, starting on the ten- 10th of September, for four weeks we'll be going out on the streets, but before we do that we're going to be coming here, we're going to have a meal together, and we're going to have some time of teaching and equipping um, in various topics related to evangelism and outreach so that you can go out. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to be led by the Spirit when we go out, because we want to make sure we're going out um with God's guidance and God's power. We're going to talk a little bit more of what it looks like to pray for healing for people, whether it's their physical body or their soul um, or their spirit. Um, We're also going to talk about just the natural ways to engage people. You know, If somebody's just sitting on a park bench, there's a really wrong way to go up and totally turn them off and make them think, I never want anything to do with Christianity again. And then there's a, a way that really engages them and invites them forward. Some of that's just kind of basic principles, and some of that's guidance from the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at that. Um, We're going to look at prayer and the role of prayer in paving the way. You know, and, and we're only going to have like an hour each night, but I just want to tell you from my experience of working with people in this type of thing that the real learning happens when you go out and do it. And when we come back after we go out, we'll have a chance to ask questions, kind of debrief the evening. So if you're sitting here going, I really want to do that, but boy, you know, I'm hungry, but I'm not sure I know how. This is a really good training for you to come to. And my desire would be that you would pray in the next few weeks. Um, that you would grow grow closer to Jesus and ask him to equip you even in your personal times so that when you come here, hear the teaching, and we go out together, um, that you could learn from that. Um, Because the goal isn't just a four-week training. The goal is a group of people who know how to effectively advance the kingdom wherever they
0: go. Thank you, Jay. Friends, let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, we end with the words that we began singing before the sermon, that we do surrender all to you, including our willingness to be used by you in ways that we haven't before, simply because we long to share in your love for the world. We long to be poured out. Even as Paul said, he was poured out. And so, Lord, accept our willingness. Accept the faith that we offer to you. And equip us with comfort, with strength, with power from your Spirit. To bring your kingdom. Because, Lord Jesus, we ourselves want to experience more of your love and your joy and your peace in our lives. And we desire to see our families and our friends and our neighbors alive, coming awake, coming awake, rising from the dead, knowing you, living in you, receiving healed hearts, So, Lord, move and work, uh, expand our faith, stir up faith, teach us and work through us for your glory. And we pray, um, hear our prayer, even as we now sing the song, Holy Spirit, living breath of God.